1: red eyes staring back at me.
0: That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it's kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll wipe religion out of the context of humanity.
1: No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that.
0: and are still embraced by the community. Our vision is set to be an informative and event packed gathering of Bigfoot discovery. This day long event will feature speakers, presentations and special guests all on site to provide attendees with information on many different aspects of these elusive cryptid beings. This event will be an opportunity for fans of the Uncomfortable Podcast to mingle with many of the guests who have appeared on our episodes related to the Bigfoot phenomenon. Sister Lakes Brewing is the site for this event. We applaud their partnership in hosting this convention. We encourage you to enjoy the amazing menu of cryptid food offerings, And remember, this is the only place that you can enjoy Dewey Lake Monster IPA. All of the information is available at our website, www.bigfootandbrews.com. Get your tickets early. Stay for the day. Enjoy our lineup of speakers, which includes Mr. Ron Moorhead. Mr. James Lady, Mr. Val Zalvala, and John. The main subject of my second and third episodes of opening day. This will be the first time anywhere that John has come out publicly and talked about his experiences on that fateful day. Rumor is abounding that Bodine the Bigfoot will also be in attendance. So bring your cameras and a steady hand. We wouldn't want you walking away with any blurry pictures. So why this Dewey Lake Monster? Sometimes known as the Sister Lakes Monster. What's the big deal? Why Jack, Michigan? Well, to be honest with you, if you do any amount of investigation into these sightings, you'll find that it wasn't just a one-off thing. When you start digging into it, what you'll find is a series of reports that happened during the summer of 1964 and in those reports, the descriptions of this creature that was seen is very much in lines with what we know as Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's guest, back for her second appearance on the show. uh, You may know her from episode 27 back in August of last year. Uh, She's a psychic medium, a remote viewer, and she is a member of Project Psy, a team of psychic and forensic remote viewers who are responsible for rescuing missing children, shutting down human trafficking rings, and closing cold case murders. To date, they've rescued 472 children, closed 18 cold case murders, and assisted in shutting down 11 human trafficking rings. She started to notice her paranormal experiences at about age 4. As she grew, her passion for one of the haunted locations afforded her the opportunity to appear and consult in Chris Holton's Haunted Earth paradocumentary, documentary A Haunting of Bachelor's Grove. Now, I have some experience with Bachelor's Grove, and as many of the experiences that I've had in my life, I will not talk about my experience with Bachelor's Grove at least on air. She's a member of MUFON. She does CE5. She's an experiencer. She served as a consultant for Thomas Cronwell's books, They Are Here, Central U.S. UFOs, and Earthquakes and UFOs. She is an international author of several books, including the one we're gonna be talking about tonight, Dimensions, Mysterious Triangles of the US. She's co-authored Digging Into Skinwalker Ranch and Skinwalker Ranch The Basin Files. In addition, she is a freelance journalist writing for ChicagoHuntings.com, Paranormal Underground Magazine, iHeart Magazine, and Mind, Body, and Spirit Guide. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Uncomfortable, Miss Cheryl Lynn Carter. Hi, Cheryl. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Doing well. Thank you. Thanks so much for being back on the you're,
1: show. You're welcome. Glad to be here.
0: I think in our last episode, back uh, in August of last year, we we threatened that there would be a uh, a revisiting of uh, our conversation. <laughs> so. We are we going to get back at it. Good. And uh, first of all, the book "Dimensions: Mysterious Triangles of the U.S." Fantastic! I love it. Uh, for for the listeners out there, I have a autographed copy in my hands that uh, Cheryl got out to me. This is one of this is one of the uh, oh, what do I want to say? This one of the gateway drugs. For me, uh, when in my youth was uh, you know obviously the UFOs, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness monster, and the Bermuda Triangle. Those were the ones that I weaned my uh, my baby teeth on, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but now we're going to get to talk to you, to Cheryl about. There's there's a a good number of these triangles that show up throughout the U.S. and in fact throughout the throughout the world. There are multiple triangles, but we're going to focus on the ones that uh, she's highlighted in her book that happened in the U.S. Now, I asked you to um, cover two specifically for me and then pick one of your choice. And mm-hmm. I asked uh, to cover Michigan because of the obvious uh, that we're both very uh, centrally located to that that area mm-hmm. and the Great Lakes. And then, uh, then I asked you to cover what's been going on up in Alaska and uh, that for me is it's that that's such a mysterious area it's such a vast uh, vast area that is so underpopulated by the size of of it that so many interesting things going on up there which one do you want to start off with
1: oh let's do Michigan because we love our Michigan
0: (laughs) all right yes we do (laughs) let's get into michigan uh by the way i wanted to say real quickly um a lovely forward in the book from uh our friend uh bill konkleski the uh state director of mufon in michigan that was a that was a very nice uh very nice forward he put there in your yes, book
1: yes yes i'm honored that he wrote that for me <laughs>
0: So let's get into it. Let's uh let's start talking about the weirdness of uh the Michigan Triangle. Now the Michigan Triangle starts uh up in Ludington mm-hmm. and works its way down to just about 35, 40 minutes away from me in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And then goes across the uh goes across the lake over to what, Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Yes. Mm-hmm and and what's been going on in that triangle
1: well so so many mysteries you know people think the bermuda triangle has the most disappearances of ships but michigan has way more planes ships people all missing tons and tons more really i mean the, the first the first recorded things happening was
0: like in um, 1881. So that's going
1: back the, quite a ways. Well, I'm, I'm sure it went back long before people were keeping records of this stuff. Right. Because there there were lots of fishermen and sailors that kind of avoided the place. So they, they always knew that something wasn't quite right and they didn't want to get involved in it. Yes. um. So in, in 1881, there was the St. Albans steamer. And something happened one day, and they were they were forced to abandon the ship near Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And then, in that was in January, and then in February, all of a sudden, people started seeing a ghostly steamship that was their ship with smoke coming out of the stacks. Really. Mm-hmm. In 1883, the Mary McClane tugboat was out, and all of a sudden. They were there was a barrage of large chunks of ice almost the size of bricks that were falling into the ship for about 30 minutes. I do remember don't reading know what about that, that was it was bizarre but that could just be nature but it's still very bizarre.
0: <laughs> I don't recall any time having uh, watched the news where they instead of calling for hail that they're calling for blocks of ice. No, not sky. that big,
1: yeah. yeah. And then in um, 1891, the Thomas Hume schooner was out on the lake, and it disappeared with its entire crew of eight. And in 2006, it was discovered. And it was still in perfect condition, but they never found any trace of any of the people that were on the ship. Oh really? Or you know, or any indication that it crashed, anything was wrong with it. It was just fine.
0: You know, now from I'm not I'm not an expert angler by any stretch of the imagination, but I I do enjoy fishing and I have spent a, a decent amount of time on on Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. And weather can can play a factor. Oh, sure in in an almost in an instant i have been out you know a mile mile and a half beautiful day hardly any wind barely a ripple to the water and uh within minutes uh with a weather system moving in you you're holding on to the sides and and hoping and praying like hell that uh, you make it back to land so mm-hmm. you know weather weather can definitely play a um a big part in um in the loss of of vessels um but there's there's some weird stuff that that is much harder much harder to just explain away with um weather being a a factor for it let's get into some of those
1: okay nineteen thirty seven the o m mcfarlane freighter was heading up to Wisconsin, and Captain George Donner was manning the ship, and he, he took care of everything until they got through the one passage where it was kind of icy. And he says, "Okay, we're everything is safe now." He goes, "I'm going to go to my cabin, take a nap. Call me call me when we we reach Port Washington." So at 6 p.m., they knock on the door. To, let them know they were almost there, and there was no answer. They kept knocking, no answer, and the, the door was locked. So they got the door open, and they went into his cabin, and he wasn't there. He had just disappeared off the ship. <laughs> and they never found him. Really? Yeah. Now, that's not weather-related. <laughs>
0: no, no, definitely not.
1: And nobody saw anything strange happening. He
0: just was gone. Now, one of my favorite things that, and and this is more of a an interest than than anything really weird, uh, more of an archaeological uh, interest, I guess. Um, the The miniature Stonehenge that's in Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. When I first started hearing about it, I, th- I thought it was just a bunch of BS, um, but it's not. It is uh, literally a real thing, and from what I'm from what I'm understanding, um, the location of it is pretty much kept secret because they don't want anybody going down there and and uh, messing with the site. Am I correct?
1: Right, right, right.
0: Um, but There's a stone down there that has a, a carving of a mammoth. Yeah. And and I believe one of my other, um, one of my other guests, Chetan Noir, I think is the one that relayed to me that, that was a, uh, like a killing circle where they would, they would basically herd a mammoth into that area Right, and it was like a stone cage where it would not be able to get out. And then several, right. several of the uh, um, tribesmen will. You know.
1: And and people are just you know they just go oh why is this under the water? Well, look look how many ice ages we had, and I'm pretty sure that was land at one time, and yeah. it got flooded when the ice melted. Obviously, so it's yeah. not really a mystery that it's down on the bottom right. of the lake. We find this a lot where there's all kinds of, all over the world, all kinds of structures under the water mm-hmm. that wasn't water before it was land. Right.
0: So back to the weirder stuff that's happened. One of one of the stories that really, really gets me, and, and I guess once we talk about this, we'll get into, like, what's actually going on with that, that triangular area, if it's ley mm-hmm. lines or um, weird magnetic... Uh, anomalies or, or or what you've what you've discovered but um back in 1978 uh gentleman by the name of stephen kubaki a uh, 23 year old student from hope college in holland michigan mm-hmm. was on a uh cross-country sc- ski trip near uh, saugatuck which is about an hour north of me um disappeared while he was on the ski trip <clears throat> next day uh, snowmobilers found his equipment basically abandoned and uh, police seem to have thought that they found his footprints somewhere on the ice um, tracked it for a while and they abruptly came to an end and for all intents and purposes the police that were investigating thought that he had fallen through the ice and had perished of hypothermia or drowning hmm. um 1979 may of 1979 <laughs> hmm. uh kabaki shows back up in uh pittsfield massachusetts 15 months after disappearing um uh, and reports that he just found himself laying in the grass over 700 miles away. Wow, with, wow. With no, <laughs> no memory of what had happened, no memory of the previous year and a half. or uh, um, He was uh, apparently wearing clothes that were unfamiliar to him.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: And that his uh, his backpack had contained some random maps that he was unaware of and he basically had been left to believe that uh, he had been been traveling, but has no idea, no, no memory of it whatsoever.
1: Does he remember where he started out or that you can't remember that
0: either? I'm sorry. Say again.
1: Does he remember where he started out with the first day before he disappeared? Does he remember that?
0: He he remembers nothing from the the fifteen oh, months man. where he was missing. Hmm. Um, so, you know, based on on where he disappeared, it it seemed to suggest that you know Sagatuck being right
1: hmm.
0: smack dab in the um, the eastern side of the the Michigan Triangle
1: mm-hmm.
0: that you know unless. He had, uh, an attack of a random attack of amnesia or, or anything else. Something, something very unusual happened to this gentleman. And, you know, whether that be a alien abduction or he went into some kind of a dimensional portal or.
1: Right. He went through a, a, yeah. Went through another dimension and came out on the other side.
0: Um, that's always just been one of the, the stories that kind of stuck out as far as, you know, almost falling in lines with like the missing four, one, one stuff, right? Um, you know, but for him to have no memory of it and basically have amnesia or has had his memory wiped. um, That that's, that's one of the more unusual stories. And And it seems to be, fairly persistent when you when you're doing you know some some research on this uh, the subject of the michigan triangle so from you i guess you know what what do you think's going on there i mean i know you i know you study the ley lines and um the different uh grids that that fall across the world um what's what's going on in that area in lake michigan what, what are the
1: well i mean there could you know people just think it's the water you've you got the land there you know close to the water like like him you know something strange could happen mm-hmm. yeah there there could be different dimensions portals open who knows who knows what's caused, i mean who knows what's causing this on this lake doesn't mean it can't also pertain to the surrounding land mm. are there
0: are there ley lines that that fall across that area
1: i don't know for sure possibly
0: it's unusual for sure i mean obviously it's it's a very large body of water um, oh yeah you know and it it's highly traveled i mean there's there's shipping routes and you know you've got people on there using it for pleasure boating and you have uh you know different towns have tours and uh cityscape tours where you can jump on, have dinner and look at the Chicago skyline and stuff like that. I'm sure that that's,
1: that's what not, I mean. Lake Michigan is in, in Chicago too. People don't realize that, you know? Yeah. And they have a lot of weird things happening in Chicago along Lake Michigan also.
0: Now what about UFOs in the triangle? And and the reason I ask is because I have a friend of mine who uh, was at Grand Miracle beach
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and this was this was several years ago but uh he he and i had started a conversation about some of this weird stuff that i like to delve into and at first he kind of had a kind of had a grin on his face like he thought i was nuts for talking about it but (laughs) then as as we progressed to talk he and uh, he and some friends had been at the beach were there in the evening time um, and facing facing Chicago, uh, so facing uh, due west, um, they basically saw a couple of lights that were extremely bright and way off in the distance, but lower to the horizon. And as they kept watching them, uh, they they made it across the lake and over their heads at a, hmm. at a very, very rapid speed. And he said it wasn't very long afterwards that there were two, if not three, um, what he assumed would have been uh, military jets uh, in tow behind it.
1: I hear that a lot.
0: Now I don't know as far as bases are concerned I don't know where the uh the air force or the navy would have uh um, flight hangars in in around that area I'm sure they are somewhere um but yeah uh, there's Michigan has got a pretty storied history of of UFO sightings and a lot of times the reports are of them over the lake.
1: Yeah, because in in two thousand O'Hare International Airport mm-hmm. re- reported that they saw thirteen ghost planes on their radar, and there were there were no other planes in the sky, but their radar was picking up whatever it was.
0: And that's interesting you bring up O'Hare because um, the uh, was it two thousand and seven. Where they had that one that was over the uh, over the tarmac for quite some yeah. time, yes. and there were a ton of people that saw it. I actually, <laughs> I actually spoke with a gentleman who was a pilot, and uh, I asked him about it, and he was not there, but he did know one of the pilots that was there, and he said, "This guy's a stand-up guy." He, Mm -hmm. he would not bullshit about something like this. And, uh, I don't believe he's the pilot that took the, there's a couple of pictures on the internet. Um, they're not the easiest to find. Um, but if you do see it, I mean, there is clearly some kind of a structured craft there and I don't believe he was the pilot that took the pictures, but he knew the pilot that took the pictures Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and, uh. So yeah, that was, that was a, a, very, um, a very public event. There were people all around the area, not only at the, uh, the airport, not even just the people on the concourse or that were out on the tarmac, but there were people who reported this sighting who were on streets on the outside uh, borders of, the, of the, uh, the airport as well. Pretty interesting stuff.
1: And it, it's it's great that pilots are finally coming forward saying I saw this next to my plane. Right?
0: Yeah, like, I, I mean
1: people didn't talk about that stuff before,
0: right? Yeah, and in fact, uh, when I had when I had spoke with this pilot, I, I asked him. I said, "Can you?" He's like, "You just don't talk about it." He's like, oh, "You will you, you will be grounded out. and you'll be doing mm-hmm. desk duty and probably lose your job." And I said, "Can you at least tell me?" Is there a protocol for if 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 an event like this were to happen? Is there a protocol for you guys as far as you know reporting it? He goes, "Yeah, you don't report it, right?" So, I mean,
1: but it, things you know, seem to be changing. Yeah, I mean, especially you know people in the army. Well, you say that they're gonna put you in the psych ward. You're you're done. Yeah.
0: But things seem to be changing now. Um, yeah,
1: thank goodness. You know,
0: I know the the is it the Navy has rewritten um, their procedures as far as reporting, and it and it seems to be that uh, it, there's not quite the uh, the crazy stigma being associated mm-hmm. with us now. So, have we heard the last of uh, Have we heard the last of what the government's going to? Uh, be forthright about these these things.
1: I'm sure they're not sharing. They're
0: I think I think sure. we've heard just about all we're going to hear. They I,
1: just wanted to throw us a little cookie on the. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I just I don't see. I, I think they feel that they've given us enough, and mm-hmm. uh, that's that's basically going to be it.
1: You know, talking about the UFOs. They are seen a lot around nuclear
0: plants. It, it, yeah, you're you're very right, and and, and I'm surprised that yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm surprised that we don't, you know, because I'm not that far away from uh, Palisades or uh, Cook Nuclear, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm surprised that that I don't hear much m- about that in this area, um, because uh, you would think, even though they're not really. Uh, yeah, I guess mainstream media, local news, and stuff like that—they'll—they'll they'll always have you know their little minute and a half blurb of you know this was this was seen on whatever the the situation was, but they still don't attack it from very much of a, a serious standpoint. I guess is what I'm getting at. Um, but very rarely do you do you see anything, if ever, see anything about uh, sightings around the Palisade or uh, Cook Nuclear Center.
1: Well, and the, the nuclear plants don't talk about it. I'm sure they're seeing what's hanging around their facilities, you know. Like in, in 2019 at the, the Point Beach Power Plant in uh, Two Creeks, Wisconsin, there was a UFO hovering over the facility. And a U.S. Marine, uh, Miles Panash, was just talking to his friend on the phone. And he's, he's in his upstairs and he looked out the window and he, he saw this and he's telling her, goes, Oh my gosh, we're we're talking about this stuff and there there's something out there. So he got a hold of his his friend who who does video and he says, Hurry up, could you come over here and, and video this? So they were visit, videoing it and you you saw in the book all the cool photos that that this guy took. And this thing was visible from eight forty five to eleven thirty hovering over the plant. Wow.
0: And which, which plant was this
1: um, point beach in two Creeks, Wisconsin.
0: Oh yeah. Across the lake.
1: Yeah. Interesting. An ex us Marine, you know, he, he knows about all kinds of crafts that we have and everything. And he, he was legitimate. He goes, I don't know what that was. Right.
0: So what about what about Michigan as far as the uh, the the disappearances Did, do they all you know you, you were listing uh, many from from back way in the day um, What about you know say from the 1940s, 1950s through now you know fairly current uh, uh, history is, is, is it still seem to be as as prevalent? The, the missing and uh, uh, unreported.
1: I, I don't think, I don't hear much about ships and planes being missing anymore.
0: You know, I almost wonder.
1: Isn't um, that kind of strange? Uh,
0: well, I almost wonder if, you know, and not to take anything away from the, the mystique of, of the, the triangle itself, but, you know with advancements in technology and and the right. the the better uh, sonars and radar and uh, the the gps locations and and stuff like that i almost wonder if you know now that they have that better technology if that's um something that's helping getting from point a to point b without right you know and with right, that and with yeah. that the our our ability to uh, look at weather patterns through satellite mm. and stuff like that probably has yeah. a lot to do with it as well.
1: You none of these ships could had any use of any kind of radar or any any instruments that's going to tell them oh you shouldn't yeah. be in this place or you shouldn't uh, You're talking the late 1800s. No, they didn't have anything right, like that. Yeah. So yeah, it could be so easy. You could run into a storm.
0: Yeah, now that doesn't that doesn't explain away uh, mysterious lights above the the water, but
1: um, no, they, no. They, well, and the guy missing from the ship. <laughs> that yeah, doesn't explain yeah, data. that's yeah.
0: that's very strange.
1: You no, know, or the or the ghost ships that they see. Yeah. they that's not as strange.
0: Yeah, I I was I was on Lake Erie. Um, one of the other Great Lakes, and uh, I honestly, uh, and, and it wound up being weather conditions, um, just the the reflection ref, refraction of light off the um, off the water, and you know the the I don't want to say it was smog, but like the the haziness of the the sky and everything. I I legitimately had seen a a ship off in the distance that man I, I you know it was it was eerie and and the way that it wasn't like fully solid and it, it looked like it was slightly above the horizon of the uh, the water you know it it just man for for a good half hour 40 minutes i kept looking over at it and it didn't seem to be moving you know it just seemed to be stationary um well we were actually drifting so i think we were kind of moving in tandem with it so our perspective pretty much stayed the same on this ship as uh when i first saw it and and eventually uh sometime later i kind of got tired of just looking at it and i even took a couple of pictures of it Um, but it did get to the point where it had actually altered its course and turned a little bit so once it did that it, it was quite obviously a an actual ship but Boy, okay. they're there for about a half hour, 40 minutes. I was like, man, is that, is that a ghost ship? Uh, um, yeah. but yeah, it was, it was, it, it you know, it, when you're looking out across water and the way light hits and reflects off of it and the prism effect that can happen and, you know, whether there's low, um, uh, weather system in that area and you know, if there's a lot of moisture in the air, um, it, it can do crazy stuff to what you're seeing out there and, uh, yeah, I was, I wouldn't say I was fully convinced, but boy, I was sure leaning that way when I was, when I was seeing that. And, uh, I actually, I, I still have a couple of photos of it that, uh, that was my, my brush with, uh, what I thought was a ghost ship at first. But then I, I remember
1: the time I was, I was on the, the shores of Lake Erie when I was, I was investigating a, a submarine there. That's cool to investigate a submarine. Yeah. And,
0: Especially on Ammon yeah. Lake. <laughs>
1: hmm And um, I can't remember what the name of it was. Oh, USS Silversides, I think. And um, I'm just was out taking some pictures, and the the waves were just beating on the rocks. The tide was coming, just beating on the rocks. It's like scary. So, could you imagine being out on that water? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that uh, that that would. Be- yeah I, I tell you you know i've grown up on the water and you know on a small inland lake i've i've been on a lake where it was uh, uh you know looked like later on in the day the threat of rain or whatever and uh boy when it when that weather changes and it it moves in boy that can happen in a heartbeat and even mm-hmm. on a small inland lake um you know you're you're gripping the sides of the boat pretty tight and and you know saying tossing a couple of prayers up that that you make it, um, but on the big lakes, man.
1: Whew. Yeah, I mean, I, I got I got some really cool pictures of the, you know the waves slapping on the rocks, but I wouldn't want to be in the water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That, that submarine. A submarine was very haunted too.
0: <laughs> was it really?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, we were. It's it's weird. We were. Um, there were just three of us that were were down sitting at one of the little tables in there, in the bottom there, in the galley, and there's metal steps coming down, and we were trying to do an EVP session, and we heard somebody, you know, running down the the stairs, and we go, what the heck, we're supposed to be alone here, who the heck's coming down here, so we, we went to go see who it was, and two of us saw it, legs were coming down the steps, just legs. Oh, really, and then it was gone, yeah, I mean, you heard it it was loud, but just huh. legs from the from the knees down, mhm,
0: <laughs> were they see through i mean obviously not, yeah, oh like, yeah, fully yeah. formed, yeah,
1: yeah, but it was just legs, and it was you know it was a military uniform, no kidding, yeah
0: all right let's let's move on <laughs> to uh. Let's move on to Alaska. All this, right, Alaska. This, this, one, this one is, you know, I mean, you can go on uh, some of these um, streaming channels and, and there's uh, the Alaska Triangle and stuff like that. And, um, you know, in the, in the beginning they say uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15,000 people have, have gone missing in the last 30 years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is, that, is that pretty factual?
1: Oh yes, of course you gotta you gotta remember there's 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 two hundred thousand square miles of unexplored wilderness and mountains
0: right yeah it's it's easy to get lost in there yeah, mm-hmm. you, you could animals can eat you <laughs> you could disappear no problem
1: mm-hmm. if
0: that's what you wanted to do
1: it's um, It's got forty active volcanoes there's all kinds of things
0: <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about that triangle. What's the, um, what are the, what are the towns that, uh, I know Juneau is, is one of the Southern tips and Juneau is kind of near and dear to my heart because, uh, um, the, uh, the pseudo documentary, the fourth kind, uh, about the abductions, uh, in, in Alaska, uh, pretty much took place in, in Juneau. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, what at the, at the Northern tip anchorage. Right. And I'm not quite sure where the, the other leg of it goes to. For me, a couple of things stand out about this triangle and, uh, it's a couple of experiences. Um, one is the, uh, Japan airline, um, 1628 i believe was the the tail number uh flight number And, and that was a very very uh well known and 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 deeply researched uh ufo sighting that apparently was massive in size and then uh the other the other thing of interest for me is the uh the reports of the black, uh, the black pyramid. Yes. Tell me what you know about those.
1: Well, you know, like I said, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere, where, where most things are. Let me see my, where it says here. Got my notes. <laughs> so it was is in a, during the of the 1950s during the Cold War the. United States, they built a radar system up in Alaska called the Dew Line, or the District Earning Warning Line, so that we give the military early warning of any Soviet nuclear strikes. And then a few years later, White Alice Communications was constructed there to work in conjunction. And they're like, um, They're like big microwave dishes, if you if you want to look at it that way, mm-hmm. to get the signals. And then one one day, um, it was in 1992, China conducted an underground nuclear test. Oh,
0: that's right. It was like yeah. it was like fifty fifty times the uh, the blast at Hiroshima. It was yeah. huge.
1: Yeah, and so afterwards, the United States started collecting seismic data in Alaska to make sure that, you know, when this went off, since they're so close, that nothing happened to underground, did any kind of, you know, nuclear energy come over to, you know, to Alaska. Mm-hmm. And what they detected was a Meyer electromagnetic interference, but they couldn't detect what the origin was. And they thought, you know, what what happened here? Just, you know, did China secretly come over and then do something underground there? Because remember, it's wilderness. So they says, all right, maybe they're trying to disrupt White Alice or the dew line. So they started pouring, you know, do a lot more seismic readings and, you know, and do all kinds of measurements. And they found through the tests that, there was some kind of underground structure. And as they did more testing, it appeared to be like an underground pyramid. So they named their project, code name Dark Pyramid. Very secret, huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hide in plain sight.
1: <laughs> Is it? A, yeah, yeah. Usually they have really cool code names, but that, that hmm. And they said it, it's 150 feet below the surface, and its points include Juno in the southeast, the Baro Mountain Range in the north, and Anchorage in the west. It's 1,150 feet tall with each side measuring 1,510 feet, which is twice the size of the Great Pyramid of Giza mm-hmm. in Egypt, which only measures 755 feet.
0: Now I know Linda Moulton Howell, uh, yeah, a very notable uh, UFO researcher and journalist.
1: I would love to meet her someday.
0: <laughs> she's she's something else.
1: Um,
0: mm. I know she's done a lot of um, a lot of stuff, a lot of work with talking about this story, and apparently has you know more than more than a handful of um, military ex military. We're confirming that this this thing exists
1: well there, there was a, um, a counterintelligence warrant officers his, his name was doug mochor and he was stationed at fort richardson and he was watching something on tv with um other military members when when this came on the news and so the next day he went over to the news station you know to get a little deca- detailed copy of the report in his hand and the Station just denied that they ever reported that. You know that that never came across the news.
0: So and he so he watched it on the news, but then he wanted to go to the station and and get confirmation. And
1: yeah, hand copy. Yeah.
0: And then yeah. they told him that they had not aired it.
1: Yeah. So you know, and he wasn't the only one watching. I. He was with other guys there. And so as he was leaving the station, one of the film editors told him that the station really did broadcast it, but he couldn't give any more information. So he went back and he started going through government files trying to find out something. And one day he's searching files and he was approached by two officials who informed him that he had no authorization to be looking at the files and they told him he had to leave. So then in 2012, he contacted Linda Mouton and started telling her the story and she broadcast an interview on coast to coast AM with him mm-hmm. where he told her the whole story. So we still don't know what it is because it's a secret.
0: Right. Wasn't it, uh, wasn't it not too long ago when, uh, several of our, uh, government officials went to Alaska, um, along with one of our astronauts, uh, was it Buzz Aldrin? Yeah, yeah. And and some other key uh, diplomatic officials had gone to Alaska, and Buzz ended up he ended up making a comment that was kind of secretive and and leading and and not, I guess maybe vague, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. then then like. Almost immediately, had to leave the area because he he had gotten sick. Um, maybe 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 he wasn't uh, maybe he wasn't very welcome there with what he had to say about it.
1: No, oh, I wouldn't think so. Yeah.
0: So, what other kind of weird things are are going on up in Alaska with these this triangle? Ah. Same thing with the, uh, you know, uh, what fifteen. Fifteen thousand people missing in that area, and again, you know, it's it's a vast wilderness. It's not very inhabited throughout that area. Um, people can tend to be, as you know, stupid and and do things that put themselves in jeopardy. Um, but that seems like an awful lot of people for for just that uh, that area.
1: I, I think so. Well, well, another weird thing. Like I think I think we have a lot of governments connotations to a lot of disappearances up there The uh, um, Democratic House Majority Leader Hale Boggs of Louisiana and Alaska House of Representatives um, Nick- Nicholas and their pilot Don Jones boarded a twin engine plane and they were taking a flight flight from Anchorage to Juneau to attend an election rally it's supposed mm-hmm. to take three and a half hours At 9.09, the pilot, weather conditions, and that was the last communication from the plane. And it never. So there was a major search looking for them. 39 days, they covered 325,000 miles, over 400 aircraft, dozens of boats, National Guard, no trace of the plane or the men were ever discovered yeah mm. interesting. Some people believe that there was a cover-up by J. Edgar Hoover, who was the head of the FBI. Because in 1971, Hale Boggs was served on the Warren Commission, and he accused the FBI of wiretapping congressional phones, and he called for J. Edgar Hoover's resignation. He also claimed that he knew why the wiretapping occurred, and his warriors were going to go through the investigation. He was going to really. Reveal his um, information to the public when he got back home. Mm-hmm. He also wanted to reopen the case of the JF Kennedy assassination.
0: Uh, I'm glad you're getting to this.
1: Had JFK really been killed by our government because he was too close and was going to disclose what really happened at Roswell, New Mexico? Well,
0: I'll, I'll, take, I'll take that conspiracy one step further. And, Me too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and say that uh because of John F Kennedy junior's or John F Kennedy's uh relationship with Marilyn Monroe mm-hmm. um there are several that will say that that Roswell information was was exchanged between JFK and Marilyn Monroe. And that Marilyn... Oh, yes. Marilyn was going to out that information. Um, was there was a project, was it Project Moondust? Yep. Yeah. So uh, tell us what you knew about, what what you discovered yeah. about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, finally, a declassified document. So that, uh, they revealed that that the alien UFO craft that crashed at Roswell. Because he was at Area 51. He saw other debris, alien bodies. And so then, like you said, he was talking to Marilyn about this. Pillow talk. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they had... And wiretap on Marilyn Monroe's phone I actually put a copy of that on the book where you can see the wiretap and they had obtained conversations of her with Robert Kennedy and journalist Leon of the New York Journal and she made several phone calls to Robert complaining about the way she was being treated Okay, after all their shenanigans ended. And she she wanted to threaten to hold the press conference, releasing all these conversations that she was having with the two of them because she had it all recorded in her diary of secrets. And also in the document, they mentioned Project Moondust, which is actually the code name for a, a covert operation that would recover Debris from spacecraft that had survived that had survived re-entry from space to Earth. So she she said she's gonna go live tomorrow at a press conference and reveal all this. Thirty six hours later, she was discovered dead of an apparent drug overdose. Yeah. Hmm. And after the assassination, Dorothy Kilgannon the journalist was so intrigued with organized crime and she started probing into what she called a conspiracy. She like we think she held secret interviews and phone calls with, with those involved, such as Jack Ruby. And the following day in October, 1965, she was also discovered then in her Manhattan apartment. Another suicide.
0: See a pattern form in here.
1: I'm, I'm I'm telling you this is just no coincidence this was yeah both suicide
0: and even brought, bringing into the uh, equation the uh n- let alone the the governmental uh portion of it but uh, then you start bringing in the uh the mob uh yes. mob connections to it too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because I'm not really, you know we're not really sure who they were after which was which one of the guys in the plane? Yeah, because some people think that Nicholas was actually the target, because less than 17 months after his disappearance, his wife Be- Betty, Peggy, um, married Jerry Max Paisley, who had she had been seen secretly, and he was actually a hitman connected with the mafia, and so. He, he was a, Finally, he was connect, uh, convicted of, of killing a man in, in a Tucson hotel, and he, you know, he went to court. He realized he was going to spend the rest of his life in prison, and so he told the judge he wanted to come clean about other terrible murders he committed. And they go, okay, and they, they had, had no idea what he was going to talk about. And he says uh, Peggy had given him lots of lavish gifts, and one of them she gave him, he was co-ownership in a bar. And one of the partners was the man he had given a suitcase to in 1972. And one day while the two of them were having drinks, the man became drunk and told him that the suitcase contained a high-tech bomb, which he placed on Pan-Alaska and 1812 H right before it left on its final flight. And he had no idea there was a bomb in there His only instructions were to take it to Anchorage, where he was to hand it over to two men. And after the exchange took place, one of the men told him, something big is about to happen. And and another thing is, um, when when the plane went down, even though they said they were searching, two days after the plane's disappearance, the the Coast Guard in Long Beach, California, received a call from an anonymous caller claiming that he knew where the plane had crashed. And he forwarded the number to the FBI, who were supposed to interview him, but nothing came of it. And also a ham radio operator reported that he received a distress call. The FBI verified the coordinates, and they never sent a search party out there.
0: Never sent one.
1: And then 20, 20 years later, a mysterious box was sent to a friend of the pilot. And inside the box were FBI classified files covering the two government officials and an account of a cover up concerning a missing plane.
0: So admitted to a cover up.
1: Mm, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. So we're not really sure who they were after.
0: Sounds like everybody on that plane had uh, had but a target got, on their back. <laughs>
1: yeah, both guys. Yeah. I mean the the guy he gave the briefcase to. You you know how how did he know? Maybe he was a government guy. <laughs> you know?
0: What a web of intrigue.
1: That's, that's <clears throat> one of my favorite stories about the Alaska Triangles.
0: So what else do you got for me? I asked you to uh, bring one to the table that was of your choice.
1: Of my choice. Hmm. Well, how about um, in Illinois, down the southern part of Illinois, it's, it's called the um, St. Clair Triangle. And in January 2000, Melvin Ngo went out to, expect, to inspect his uh, miniature golf course to make sure that none of the plumbing was, was frozen in, in, in his office. So then as he was coming out of there, he looked up, and there was this huge craft in the sky, 800 feet above him, almost the size of a football field, with blinking lights and everything. And so he, right away, he, he called the, the police to have him come, exp, you know, inspect something. So at 4.12 a.m., Officer Ed Barton went over, and he also observed a craft pivoting in the air without tilting to one side. And that remained completely level, and it had multicolored lights. A little further away, at 423, Officer Dave Martin also saw the craft. He said it was a triangle shape, about 100 yards wide, and again, had all these blinking lights. And three brilliant lights projected downward onto the ground, and it had red and green flashing lights on the back. At 428, Officer Craig Stevens also saw a craft, and he said it was V-shaped, horizontal strobing lights. Everybody's seeing the same craft. At 503, Officer Matt Janney also saw a triangular shape, totally silent, red glowing lights on the other side. So in the meantime, when this is going on, at 345 a.m., somebody contacted NIDS, the National Institute of Discovery. And so they sent somebody out to see what was going on because supposedly this had been observed in seven counties, witnessed by lots of credible people, and it had actually traveled 62 miles in a southwest direction within one hour. So they came out, NIDS came out to interview everybody, they went to Scott Air Force Base. They went to Boeing in St. Louis, and they said, no, this, this was not us. We don't know what it was, but, you know, they all admitted it was something. And uh, Discovery Channel actually did a um, special on them called UFOs Over Illinois. And I wasn't living in Illinois at that time, so I missed that.
0: Oh, you lived in Illinois?
1: That's where I was born, Yeah. Oh, was it? Yes.
0: You know, as far as these, these triangles are concerned... One of the, if not maybe the most consistent thing that happens with them, high, high traffic areas of UFOs. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That seems to be the the prevailing um, reports.
1: I know when I was, when I started writing the book, I just wanted to talk about, you know, mysterious places and things and, I had no idea it was gonna go in this direction about UFOs. I did not plan that. But they all had the same common denominator. So I'm glad I went there.
0: Yeah, because obviously that's a that's a subject that's near and dear to you. Uh
1: mm-hmm.
0: with some of your other research and uh, being a being a card carrying member of MUFON. Mm-hmm. Is has MUFON been a uh, uh a good resource for you as far as uh, being able to look for documentation on, on these reports?
1: Yes. Cause I can, ac- I can actually go in to see people's sightings and, you know, pull up reports on it. And another, another good place to, to find information is it's called the vault. I don't really? Don't know if you ever heard of that? No, it's online. It's called the vault.
0: And what is the vault?
1: It's, it's, it's a guy that he has his own personal Website And he has used the Freedom of Information Act to get all these government documents, thousands of them, and you can open them up and read them. And Interesting. It, it is. I've, I've been into a lot of files, and I said, well, I love this. So I hope that they, the files I asked for, I hope they answer me and give me my files.
0: <laughs> through the Freedom of Information Act or, or through this, yes. the vault?
1: no freedom of information i i didn't see my documents in his in his files oh no no i i i have requested files from bigelow from skimwalker ranch
0: yeah boy i'd like to see those files
1: i i don't i don't know what kind what's going to be in the files it might be nothing but i want to see them anyway
0: any other highly unusual things we we touched on the uh the o'hare incidents in uh in illinois what's the um, the axis of the of the triangle in uh illinois
1: it's it's all the way down in the, the little tip where the it's it's called it's called little egypt triangle because like a lot of the a lot of the towns around there have egyptian names well that's odd because when it was when it was first founded i, I forgot what religion the man was and he was he, he he was up on the a, a, a mesa he was down by Alton and he looked down and he says oh this looks like the promised land and so they they named a lot of different Uh-oh. yeah that's where all these people that's where all these cities got these names because you're gonna look at egypt
0: <laughs> yeah seems like an odd uh, odd thing for illinois
1: <laughs> well not not once that i you know I read what he was talking about you right, know and it yeah. was and they, they thought it was like, yeah, like um, the Mississippi was like the River Nile. And I mean, it just things he was saying. And yes, it's right by Alton, Illinois, which is a crazy place in itself. How's that? It's a, a very haunted place. They had um, giant thunderbirds there. Oh, really? The home of Mineral Springs. You've probably seen that on TV many times. Yeah. I've investigated there a few times. Since. Have you? Oh yes, very strange things. There was um, there was a Confederate prison there again. I guess it was just called the Alton Prison, which was also on TV. They um, they tore it down after the Civil War, and all the cinder blocks they took it and they used it as foundations in houses and and stores. So, like, the whole town's haunted Oh! with these cinder blocks from the prison. Wow.
0: What's your, I know this is getting a little off topic, but who cares? Right. Um, yeah. I had a conversation with uh, Karen Tatro, um out from the East Coast, who's a, mm-hmm. a medium. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about haunted items and, you know, what, why does a, why does a spirit cling on to uh, s- such odd um, inanimate objects? You know, what, what is the, what are the, what is the draw to that? Why do they do that? Um, but, you know, like in a, in a situation like that where it's a, it's a building where there was uh, obviously, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of, uh, bad people. And, you know, what's your thoughts on what makes those objects retain that, that spirit?
1: I don't think it has to come from a, a bad place. It, it could just be that this item belonged to the spirit and it was really important to them.
0: But I guess, you know, like a, like you have, a handheld
1: mirror at a, a brush. It just, Things like that that can be so haunted, but it was something important
0: to that. That I can understand. You yeah. know, a, a personal item uh, mm-hmm. like that. But um, I forget what they actually even made a TV movie about uh, a plane that crashed. I think Ernest Borgenhein star, starred in it um, where they, they took some of the wreckage from the plane crash and they mm-hmm. were able to reuse it in other planes. And in those planes, people reported seeing the ghost of of the captain from from the, the ship the from the plane that had uh, crashed wow. um, you know i i can i can understand that but when you're taking the the cinder blocks from a building you know that that seems to me that i mean i'm sure an inmate didn't focus on that one cinder block and say oh that's my cinder block <laughs> you know no you know, but it's it important was- to me
1: no, but the conditions there were really, really bad. That's why they closed the prison down. It was just a really, really bad place. He probably just had all that bad emotional energy in those cinder blocks. Yeah. I don't think it's a person that's attached to it. It's the bad energy of what happened there.
0: Oh, I got you. So it's more of more of the, the energy as a whole versus yeah, a, a specific spirit.
1: Because there there and, were no windows in that place, and in the winter, you know, it snowed into their cells. They were sitting in snow. It was really bad.
0: And how does one, you know, like if, in, from the standpoint of a investigator or somebody that has uh, abilities like yourself that can that can help a spirit move along, um, how would one like yourself? How would you how would you approach going into a home that was built reusing? um materials from this is there is there a way to uh, i guess for a back lack of better words exercise that energy from from that so the people aren't dealing with that or is since there's no real spirit attached to it you are you are you kind of just screwed <laughs> and and have to deal with it
1: i i've never i don't do any in of places you yeah. know I suppose you could, but I, I don't know, maybe you could just you know and I hate to say sage. But just something to to get rid of the energy. Since it's not actually a spirit. Yeah.
0: Do you think that's a mistake that's made by uh made by people who claim hauntings and and, and stuff like that? Do you think maybe there's more um more of these things are just an energy? versus yeah. actually being and it, a spirit. And it's, and
1: it's, residual, it's residual energy, and it, it it might not be a spirit there at all. It's just something that you're feeling. Like when, when I was in Mineral Springs, this was really weird. We were walking around, and we had a, a private investigation there, and we went down the basement, and we, we started walking into this one room, and they, they actually used to slaughter pigs down there yeah. at one time. Okay, so I knew that. But I walked into to this, this basement, had a dirt floor and everything, and my friend was next to me and he has abilities, and he stopped that he backed out of the room. Now, I've never seen him walk away from something, and I thought that was weird, but I didn't say anything, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing bodies all over, and they were natives, and there was blood everywhere, like there was a massacre. I'm going, oh my gosh. So I didn't say anything, and I went back out in the hallway, and he goes, I I had to back away. I says, what would you see? There were these two big braves, and they were standing shoulder to shoulder, and they looked at me. I thought they were going to charge me, so I left. So we both saw this. So I'm asking the owner what happened on this land before the building was here, because obviously this had nothing to do with the building. Oh, you saw saw blood when they used to slaughter pigs? I said, no, I saw people. And I still, I've I've been trying to research. I want to know who lived on that land before the town was there. You know, could this be, it's probably residual energy that we saw. Right. But here it was in this building, which was never part of the building. And I don't believe there was, I mean, it, it didn't hurt us. It was just scary to see. Right. To feel.
0: Can you differentiate between like that, which you saw, which you, you obviously knew, it was not; they weren't coming after you. They were not interacting with you. Um, it, it does it become fairly obvious really quick whether or not you're experiencing residual energy versus actual spirits.
1: To me, I can yes. Or you'll see some will say, "Oh, I see this. Uh, I see this shadow person in there." That's a good example. I see this shadow person. They're always walking in this doorway, and they go down this way. That's again residual it's not that spirit's not really there. It's a little snippet in time that keeps playing over and over and over. Yeah. Like a memory of them but it's not really there. You know see. So you you finally learn that after a while there, there was a place that I used to investigate a lot and I would see the same spirit walking down this way and then it would would disappear and I finally realized oh, now there's not a spirit there.
0: With watching some of these um some of these shows uh, you know ghost shows and haunting shows and stuff you know they they mm-hmm. they lead the, the the viewer to believe that uh um, specific types of uh stone granite areas that are, are near water those kind of places tend to be more highly active as far as uh replaying residual energies like you're talking about have you found in your, in your experience, is that true, or is that just kind of?
1: Well, supposedly limestone is a conductor. Yes, water. And I live by Fort Wayne in Detroit, and that's a very haunted location. And it's right on the Detroit River, so you have water. Everything built there was limestone. And it also used to be a Potawatomi Indian village. So you got all three there, oh, and under part of the underground railroad too. So I mean, there's there's a lot going on there. Yeah. So I really think that there's there's not just soldiers there. There's all kinds of different spirits, and there's am some of it's residual, but some of it actually interacts with you. And I have EVPs. You know, they talk to you.
0: Do you think we all leave? Do you think we all leave impressions that at some point? could be picked up on or is it is it more based on on just traumatic things that have happened
1: no, be I, I believe we all do and some you know sometimes somebody can go to a location and they'll be picking up something we said we could be having a conversation at this place and someone can come back come back later and pick up an evp oh, saying I, something. I you, you yeah. know what i mean
0: yeah yeah and i guess that's what i was getting at
1: yeah because i i did that one time i was at a place and i I got an EVP that, and I've been to this place six, seven times, and I got an EVP that just did not seem like it belonged to that place because it was very evil. And so I'm telling the owner, and I said, I don't, I don't know why I got this. This is disturbing. And I let him listen to it, and he goes, Oh, I know what that was. And I said, What? We had we had a team come in here one time investigating, and they were shooting some kind of horror movie, and the one guy said exactly what you had recorded. Now, that was bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> and I says, okay, because I never heard any of the spirits say something that I recorded <laughs> that night. It was really bad. So, yeah, I think we leave an imprint. I, I used to work in a in a store, and we were closing up at night, and be, before you, you close up, you got to, do a walkthrough to the store to make sure there's nobody inside hiding or still shopping or something. And so the one lady's back in the cash office. She's waiting for all the bags to come in. And I'm standing there and there was an office upstairs and I'm standing there waiting by the door with her. And um, I see somebody going up the stairs I saw every one of the fingers go around the railing. They were wearing like a trench coat, but there was no head. And it went up the stairs, and I go, okay. I know I'm I'm tired. It's it's Christmas. I've been working a lot of hours. I didn't see that. So we're back there a few days later, and I saw the same thing. I said, nope, that was there. But I can't tell anybody because nobody I work with knows that I talk to ghosts. So I I didn't say anything, but it was like every time at the same time. So this was probably residual, but still was crazy. So one night she's sitting in the off, in the office and there, there was a mirror on the wall, and she's sitting facing the mirror, and so she could see out in the hallway. Mm-hmm. And she jumped up and she goes, I like I was in the cash office that night and she was sitting at the desk and she jumped up and she goes, oh, my gosh, somebody just went up the stairs. And I blurted out, oh, you see him, too. I go, oops. <laughs> and she said, you saw him? I said, "How oh, can I see him? I'm in the cash office. I said, but I've seen him before. And she goes, what? I says, it's the ghost. And I go, oh, you said the G word, uh-oh. <laughs> and I thought she's going to think I was crazy. And she says, what? And so she, she called the security guy. She goes, hurry, hurry, hurry. Somebody ran up the stairs just now. So Dave comes running. He goes running stomping up the stairs and he's looking around and I'm I'm following him. And I says, There's nobody up here. I says, It was the ghost. I said, You said the T-word again. (laughs) (laughs) Now they're both looking at me, and I thought, Oh, here it goes. And I says, Oh, we believe in that stuff. I said, Oh, thank goodness. But you know, who was? I says, Well, you've worked here a long, long time. I says, Who do you think it was? She goes, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I says, Okay, so then few nights later, I'm working in one of my departments, and my departments are along the wall, and I swear I saw a shadowy figure walking around the perimeter, you know, like you're checking the store at night. And then somebody else was up by the checkouts waiting to, to get out with us, and she started screaming, and I says, what? And she says, I just saw a guy walking down the aisle, all around the aisle, and then he... We're headed back to the office, and I says, "Oh my gosh, he he does walk the whole store." And I kept saying, "Who is this guy? Tell us who this guy is. You you must have some idea. He had to work here. He must be a manager that worked here." And so then the one woman says, "Oh, well, we we did have a manager that that worked here a long time ago, and he he just got divorced, and he was." Really sad and everything. And, and one night he went out in the parking lot in his car and he shot himself in the head. Oh, my. Explains why it had no head. <laughs> wow. But he wasn't really there. That was residual, but it was, I mean, watching his fingers grab the railing, yeah, that was so real. But yet it wasn't because you could set your watch same time checked all the around the store then went upstairs to the office just like we do every night 10, 15, 10 15. he was always there Ten fifteen.
0: could set your clock by it yeah interesting
1: to hear that somebody doesn't have a head or his legs are missing and that this could be why yeah
0: you know from the standpoint of somebody who's who's not very intelligent on this stuff um or have experienced that much of it um, you would almost think that when a person passed, they would, um, if they were going to appear to you, they would appear whole again.
1: Right. Well, I don't, I don't think he was really there. I think that was residual because if it's 10, 15, if it happens every night at the same time, that's, re, that's what you would call residual. Yeah. If I saw him during the day, then it might be, okay, maybe there's really somebody there, but. You know, if he was messing with the alarm, if he was moving stuff, but nothing like that ever happened.
0: Well, that was a great story to end with.
1: <laughs> I'll never forget that.
0: Cheryl, I want to thank you so much for being with me again tonight. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you again. Uh, it was hopefully, fine. hopefully our paths will will cross this summer it sounds like there's an awful lot of things going on in uh, the
1: bigfoot conference yeah
0: i've got mine that's going to be bigfoot and bruise in dwajack michigan uh, on september 10th mm-hmm. and then just announced yesterday uh for july 30th in chelsea michigan will be i just
1: saw that one i shared that one i saw that yeah
0: it will be the uh michigan bigfoot conference 2022 Um, There's going to be a fairly good-sized group of Bigfooters who are going to be uh, converging on the Manistee National Forest uh, early June, June 3rd through 5th. Um, Information on that is available on the Gumshoe Guy uh, Facebook page. Uh, I've got the Ohio Bigfoot Conference coming up on April thirtieth, May first. Lots of stuff going on, so
1: Mich- Michigan UFO Contact up in Halton Lake, September twenty third and twenty fourth.
0: That's always fun. Oh, nice! Uh, you'll have to you'll have to forward me the information on that. I'd like to uh, see if I can make it to that.
1: That that conference center is actually. Located on ley lines, it's very strange. Oh, really? Yeah, your, your equipment will go crazy when you're there.
0: Bonkers, really?
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, I, mean, at first, I didn't know that. I didn't know about the ley line, and I was just having trouble standing straight when I was walking around that day. and I go, What the heck's wrong with you? And somebody else was saying that was happening to them, and I go, What is And they go, It's the ley line. I go, Oh, the ley line. <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah, definitely get me the information for that.
1: Okay, sure. And
0: uh, I'm actually thinking about maybe doing a uh, coastline tour of some of the the haunted uh, lighthouses this summer around oh. around the lake. So,
1: so I've, only, I've only been to the one in Port Huron.
0: I've been to Seixua Lighthouse. Um, mm-hmm. And while we were there... Now, granted, you know it, it could have been just something they do, you know, to keep people coming in. But uh, the reports there are the, uh, the gentleman that used to be the caretaker of the lighthouse uh, smoked a cigar, and I'll be darned if uh, in two places, once in the uh, m- once in the main living quarters, I uh, caught a whiff of uh, a pretty strong aroma of a cigar and then uh inside the actual lighthouse itself about midway up uh to the top i was uh, again struck with the strong smell of a cigar so i thought maybe that, yeah, that might be a, a yeah. fun long weekend
1: uh, yeah the summer. the one that the one that i that i went to in court here on the that's very haunted i've investigated inside there a few times and it's believed that the White House Keeper is, is still working. Oh, really? Because I I, I caught an EVP one, one time, I was start walking up the stairs and I heard a man yell, who's coming here, who are you?
0: <laughs> no kidding.
1: <laughs> we go, oh. <laughs> so the guy's still working. Yeah, that's that's right on the Canadian border and you want to talk about rough waters there. Like, oh
0: my goodness. Mm-hmm. Before we head out for the night. Do me a favor and let everybody know where they can uh, find you on facebook uh, your website and most importantly where they can get a hold of your uh your books
1: i'm on facebook Lynn carter i'm on instagram i think it's just cheryl carter on instagram i have a website www.cherylincarter.com you can get my books on amazon Or if you'd like a signed copy, you can just notify me on Facebook. I have lots of books here I can mail you.
0: That's how I got mine. Yeah. (laughs) Cheryl, wonderful talking to you. Thanks so much for being on the show.
1: And thanks for having me again.
0: And hopefully we'll see each other uh, throughout this this summer. I'm sure we will. (laughs) All right, dear. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night. Good night. I want to hear your story. I want to hear your experience. So email me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, then leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Share the show with your friends. Share the show on social media. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter all at Uncomfortable Podcast. And until next week, my friends, stay uncomfortable.